Hello and welcome to episode three of the Booming Book Club with me, Lucy Osborne. So I would firstly like to apologise if you can hear my guinea pigs. They've chosen this time to start waking up and running around. Um, But the book we will be looking at this week is called Norwegian Wood by Haruki Murakami. And this is by a Japanese author. He is potentially one of the most famous Japanese authors. He's sold books internationally and they've been translated into so many different languages, which is also an interesting point to think about how when the book is translated, it does have the potential to change the meaning in some way. And I know in lots of different countries, colour symbolism changes. So it's quite interesting. I'm not sure with this edition, actually, whether or not they changed the colour symbolism in it. So people who learn English can understand the symbolism or if they kept it in the Japanese uh, culture and how they perceive colour but either way it didn't seem to hinder the book too much but to begin with I would just like to give a very clear trigger warning because this novel focuses very heavily on suicide and suicidal thoughts and mental illness and it could be very triggering for anybody suffering from these conditions or anything like that so we will be discussing that in the show as well so if you think it will affect you, then please stop listening. It might still be worth reading the book, but it just it is quite a distressing novel. It is a phenomenal book, but as I said, it is quite upsetting in some places. So I've actually been studying Japanese literature this term with uni as one of my elective courses. Um, and my boyfriend actually got this book for me for Valentine's Day because it's one of his favourite books ever. And he will be coming onto the show later to discuss his thoughts because he did a project for his college, I think, where he redesigned the cover and things. So he will have quite an interesting insight on it from a design perspective as well. So what makes reading this book even more special is, I think, because somebody gifted it to me. I think it often makes you want to read it more as you know someone else loves it. I think one of the best presents you can get somebody is like a a record of your favourite album or one of your favourite books. So it's quite a personal thing, giving somebody a piece of artwork that you feel really connects with you, as it will hopefully really connect with the other person as well. So I read this book really quickly, not just for the show, but I think because it's a startlingly simple book. The writing is quite simple, but the topics it handles are quite distressing. And it's simultaneously very fast-paced in places, but also quite a slow burn so it's quite refreshing to have such an undulating pace in the book as it makes it more varied and interesting I think it is a as I said it is a very refreshing book despite how sad it is and I think this is down to the simplistic language because if you use loads of flowery elaborate writing I think it would just not suit the book as much it's as if with this simplistic language it's as if every word has been chosen especially it's been so carefully done and I think the narrative is deceptively beautiful there are some really lovely images created in it so I'll start off by giving a brief summary of the book and sort of the themes it follows so it follows the life of Toru Watanabe and he is I think 18 years old when the book begins and he hears the favorite song of his best friend's girlfriend in the future so this is when he's about 37 in an airport and hearing this song takes him back to when he's 18 and his time at university and his best friend 
actually committed suicide, I think when they were 17, and it was literally his only friend in the world. And then, so his best friend's girlfriend is Naoko, and her big sister also committed suicide. So immediately you can see the novel is just filled with an intense amount of sorrow. So he describes his best friend claiming himself, and then he later bumps into Naoko, and they begin seeing more of each other. This is a few years after the death of his friend. Um, but then one day she's put into a special hospital in the Japanese countryside, almost like a, a sanctuary. It's not a mental asylum as such, it's more a relaxing farm type place. Um, and from reading the book, from a modern perspective, I think we can suspect that she suffers from schizophrenia. So the rest of the story follows Toru's friendship with a girl called Midori who he meets at university and they have a slow burning love over time. It appears to be the type of love where you don't realise you've fallen for them until you're head over heels and then this friendship leads up to the eventual suicide of Naoko and in the book there are several other suicides which just makes it even more harrowing. Suicide really seems to be an almost epidemic in Japan at this time, just as it is now in contemporary society. And I'd say that the book ends on a confusing and somewhat disparaging note in a way, because we will never truly know if him and Midori stay together. From my point of view, at least, they seem rather too impetuous to survive the test of time. But I think the novel is meant to be deliberately ambiguous, rather like F. Scott Fitzgerald's novels. He almost lets the reader decide the ending for themselves because I think the reader is able to find more peace in that than them being told by the author themselves this is what happens and I think that shows how cleverly written the novel is for it to allow the readers to determine their own ending so the book it, it is very sad as that seems to be the theme for the <laughs> all of the books I read on this show but I think it is also a very important book to read because it shows so many different perspectives of suicide and how suicide affects the people left behind and the consequences that lead up to it. And I also really enjoyed the beautiful descriptions of uh, the Japanese countryside and how even just out from Tokyo, there are these beautiful mountains where Naoko's hospital is. And it just sounds lush, really. <laughs> um, I think it's quite refreshing for Toru to come out of the city, at least, because he stays there for pretty much his whole time at university. He doesn't really seem to go home in the holidays. I think it's just too painful for him to go home because when he's at home, he's just reminded more constantly of how his best friend killed himself there. So I think it's quite a distressing place to be home, much to his family's dismay because you don't really learn much about his family. In fact, you seem to learn more about the families of his friends and love interest than his own. He seems to have a very detached personality and... He doesn't relish from sort of familial comfort. He's very secluded in a way. He's always talking about how lonely he is, but it doesn't seem as if he's complaining that much. It's more just he sees it as a fact of life, a way of life. He is a innately introverted person, I suppose. So we will now be joined by Ollie, and I think this is one of his favourite books of all time, it's safe to say, so it'll be interesting to see his thoughts on it. So I'm now joined by Ollie, who first told me about this book. 
Would you be able to tell us a bit about how you first heard about it? Well, it was, um, I was in college um, doing an art foundation and one of the projects we were doing was uh, this competition with um, Penguin. It was a design competition. And was it run by Penguin? Th- yeah. Why? Um, and it was just sort of aimed at uni and college um, age people and there was it was basically just designing a book cover and it was one of them was um wonder you know, oh yeah that's um, really good and another was a a, a non-fiction uh but i can't remember who that was by and then the adult fiction option was norwegian wood and uh well i liked the cover that it had already and I'd read Wonder before and I, I thought well it's just a good excuse to read something else as well especially this um author that is well to be honest I hadn't heard of him before but when reading up on him seeing how prolific he was it yeah was, he's one of the most famous Japanese writers of all time yeah, really. I, I'm sorry I didn't know who <laughs> um so yeah that I, I decided to read it before I would um do this project just so I could have a, a an idea of what was going on and the themes of it and so on and so forth. So can you describe how you altered the cover a little bit? So the way I approached it is because of uh, the themes that I really drew from it were, was this sort of nostalgia that um, Toru had to his past. And uh, so the, the main sort of... Um, the main things on the cover were sort of headlines from the 60s like Beatlemania sweeps um, America and um, moon landing and things like that they were in the background and then on the foreground it was two silhouettes um, one of Midori and one of Naoko and they were um, presented through these um lenses um which are rose tinted lenses to sort of uh, allude to this nostalgia that um toru had has about the past yeah because the whole book does really seem to be viewed through rose tinted glasses definitely yeah and um uh, well there's there's not the issue of the unreliable narrator Although it, you think it might go that way at the start, when mm-hmm. he's because he's the whole book is essentially a recollection. Um, I did wonder if Reiko was going to be an unreliable narrator when she's talking about her relationship with her piano pupil. But then you told me actually that the age of consent in Japan is thirteen. Yeah, which is just mad. Uh, yeah, it's obviously a, a weird thing for our cultures and it well it still was a, a very inappropriate relationship mm-hmm. over there as well hence the the backlash that um she received um, i don't think it was ex- as extreme as if it would have been in england no definitely maybe. not um yeah so the there wouldn't have been a reason for her to like be punished for it it was just sort of yeah because i wondered if she was sort of retelling the story more in her favor to make her look less bad to toru but yeah, I don't know. It's impossible to know. Mm. Uh, she does put a lot of the blame on the pupil. Right. I think she has to do that just to be able to live with herself. Well, th- well, this is the thing, but maybe uh, that isn't the case, and maybe um, 
it is true and the fact that she has had to put herself in this institution shows that um it's true and that she is but and still blames herself which is why she felt the need to go there and felt this um breakdown i was so surprised when her and tori got together at the end i found that so weird i i mean i i was less um bothered by it it was more to me it felt less it obviously wasn't romantic and it wasn't but it wasn't like passion either it was i I more saw it as them both seeking comfort mm. after the person that they were both closest to had passed and i just felt kind of bad for neoko because she literally just died and i think she would have hated it if she was alive not that it would have happened if she was alive but well i mean again i, I i'm not i don't think that it's that bizarre like i i if you both suffered this horrific thing and they both have had so much as in Reiko and Tori have both had mm-hmm. so much um grief in their lives it's it, it to me it seems almost natural that they would find that comfort within each other and the fact that it it wasn't portrayed as this I don't know. It, it it felt delicate to me. It felt yeah less. Very it wasn't sensual as yes. It wasn't intimate. as um, sort of animal as some of the other descriptions mm-hmm. of sex during the novel were. So, do you have a favorite character at all? Well, bruh. They're, like, they're all flawed in their yes, own way. Which is a, natural, obviously. A, yeah, a good part of the book as well. And I, I think, I, I probably Toru is the, my favorite character. Um, there was there was definitely times where I found myself really disliking both Naoka and Midori, but mm-hmm. that was then I was thinking that some of their reactions were just so ridiculous and so. Um, too extreme but Mm -hmm. then once I sort of put the perspective of Tori as a narrator it it sort of made sense that Mm -hmm. he's not going to see all the the bits that he had done wrong that made sort of Midori not speak to him throughout Mm -hmm. sort of the latter sections of the book Um, to him it just was oh this this girl just randomly stopped stopped talking to me because I don't think he realised how much she really cared for him. I don't think no. he realised how much anybody actually cared for him. No, not at all. But which is understandable mm-hmm. because he's what nineteen twenty. He sort of shut himself off from everybody. Yes, as well. yes. He shut himself off, and it's basically it's a teenager, really. Yeah, it's. I forget how young he is. Yeah, it's learning him learning about the world, really. Because the way he talks, it sounds as if he's in his like late 20s yeah uh, i think i guess part of that is the death of his best yeah friend. and because it's difficult to tell when it's being told as a flashback and when it's uh-huh so perhaps part of it is because it's him as the older guy speaking mm. about it speaking about the past or 
Oh, that's true. I hadn't thought about it like mm. that, actually. Um, yeah, that, it was... Uh, I, and uh, an interesting thing that I um, thought as I was rereading re it um, for this session was how much he... Com- you might not be able to relate to this because you've not read it, but um, how much you ca- he relates to... Um, Holden Caulfield in mm-hmm. Catcher in the Rye. It's very similar sort of character, and I, it's funny because I think it's it might be Reiko or it might be um, what's what's his um, friend at uni's girlfriend called? I can't remember. Uh, Kazuki maybe. Yeah. Um, she says or Reiko, I can't remember who says something along the lines of, "Oh, you're not." Um, a Salinger type are you or yeah. something along those lines which just made me think how self-aware it was because it, it really felt not like a rip-off of Holden <laughs> Caulfield but that sort of teenage um that just like that, that growing up feeling uh, a mm-hmm. young person well in my Japanese tutorial this week I speak about his other novel that I've read, The Strange Library, and people are actually saying that they thought it was similar to Salinger's writing in that as well. So it's interesting that... So I talk about this in detail later in the show, but in The Strange Library, it's one of his very first novels, and this one's obviously one of his later ones. So it's interesting that that has been maintained Mm. throughout his life. I wonder... um, I guess the only difficulty in understanding how similar it is is... Because obviously it's not written originally in English, and mm-hmm. how much is translation, um, or if that's it's translated well enough that his original is his original Japanese sort of um, style mm-hmm. is coming across the same. So, what did you think about the handling of mental illness and how there's been such a large progression of treatment over time? So I think it's quite obvious that Naoko perhaps had like schizophrenia or oh. something. She talked quite a lot about the voices in her head. I thought it was a theme across the whole book for me was how contemporary it felt a lot of the mm-hmm. time. Um, obviously, treatments are different, but it it didn't. It never saw it uh, saw mental illness as sort of. A, a truly terrible thing. It was. I don't know. I did get that vibe sometimes. Really? But it, well, I mean, more with the piano teacher and. Yes, but I guess more for me it was. Um, well, obviously stigmatized and obviously still is stigmatized to a certain extent, mm. but more. Um, I don't know how you how you describe it. Um, pass <laughs> uh, um, yeah uh, yeah I'm not sure because it it felt real enough to me and mm-hmm. uh, it felt like there was never judgment from Toru and there was never judgment from yeah because he seemed like the type of person that would be like oh you're depressed just be happy like yeah. he did seem like he could be that type yeah. of person uh, and maybe it's just because he's experienced a lot of the difficulties mm-hmm. um and probably has issues himself but the, yeah i, I guess a they're lot. just not as bad well i don't even know about that it's just more of a case that 
he is always it's always had to be the sort of the looker after her. Yeah, I think he people. suppresses quite a lot. He 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 has a desire to um, fix and help rather mm-hmm. than address. Well, he must have been so struggling so much after his best friend died. So mm-hmm. it didn't sound like there was any sort of like therapy you know, or uh, uh, which i think is a sign of the times as well yeah which also alludes slightly to um pokes of being a wallflower mm. um and the main character in that book um similar sort of thing yeah and his best friend died and it sort of he he had his breakdown at the end and it, it, in a similar sense toru um really struggled after Naoko died I think that's when that was his grief mm-hmm. it's sort of like it all came out in one yeah um, yeah which is an interesting parallel so Toru often expresses his love of the great Gatsby do you think he views himself as a Nick or a Gatsby I I would say he views himself as a Nick definitely he, Same. he likes to be um he likes to be on the sideline in a sense. Whereas I think Naoko is more of a Gatsby because she is so often described in relation to light and sort of celestial hope the same way that Jay Gatsby is obsessed with the green light on the dock. Interesting. And there's a quotation, um, I went on watching it, the way Jay Gatsby watched that tiny light on the opposite shore night after night. Yeah. Um, Do you not see her as more of a a daisy though? Yeah, potentially. I think Daisy and Gatsby are kind of one and the same. They're very synonymous. I guess so, yeah. Um, but she's definitely not a Nick. No, and I, I, Tori's definitely not a Nick as well. He, um, yeah, he likes to surround himself with big characters, but doesn't like to be the main attraction again. Yeah. Into, he likes to... Very much a side there. character, actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I talk about this in more detail later in the show as well, but... What do you think happened to his roommate in university, Stormtrooper? Because I think he killed himself. I, yeah. I, I, I so obviously it never explicitly says, but... No. Um, I I would not be surprised if that was... I think the it's case. the only explanation, really. Perhaps that's why the, the, the dean or whatever, the head teacher or whatever mm-hmm. is, his role is, so doesn't want to say anything. Do it look bad on the... Uni. Maybe, yeah. Uh, um, and I think the culture that is still there in Japan uh, in terms of teen suicide is mm. such, so ingrained, so... It's just sort of accepted as one of those things that happens. Yeah. Which is awful. Like, the way Naoko dies, it's just accepted as a inevitability, really. Mm. I felt even... At the beginning of the novel, I was like, we're just counting down until she dies, Definitely, really. Yeah. Um, but I count and I think there was something like five suicides in the book. Which is mad. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's interesting how sometimes it's very, it's discussed very matter-of-factly. It's uh, like the way they announced Naoko died. It doesn't say she died. It just says, like, I saw Reiko three months after she died. It doesn't say, like, yeah. she committed suicide or whatever. It's just treated as an inevitability. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, it's it's interesting how um, again it's there's not a lot of emotion there in discussing it, and I think that's probably mm -hmm. in part due to Tori's lack of emotion mm -hmm. um, as a character. Um, he sort of just things kind of happen to him rather than him yeah doing things do you have a favorite part in the novel favorite part um i think for me it would be when tori first goes to visit naoko in the i don't know if you can call it a hospital but mm. it, it, i just love the description of the japanese countryside because i've always wanted to go it just sounded so serene and i'd quite like a little weekend yeah. stay there i think um I, I i really loved the ending um i, I it's so atmospheric mm -hmm. i think and it, it's sort of when um tori really really I, I think that's the point where it definitely hits him mm -hmm. where he's like what has happened and where is he going and what is what is his future going to look like and obviously it's left a bit ambiguously of um yeah i don't know if i liked the ending really yeah what so i wanted to know about? if him and midori got together in the end and i don't think they will have stayed together because after i finished it i actually went back and read the first few pages of the book when it's him when he's I think 37 or something yeah. to see if it mentioned a partner with him on the plane, but it didn't. And I think we are meant to take that as him and Midori didn't work out. But. Well, I don't know. Because it is, I think he's going, at the start, he's going travelling for work, so... Oh, uh, okay. Uh, um, so, so I'm not sure. I, I don't think it necessarily infers either way um but I, do you have a gut feeling about whether or not they stay together i think my gut feeling would be that they probably did mm -hmm. um because it, it's almost like they were they were soulmates in a sense um i really love midoriya she's definitely my favorite character mm. i think she's just so unequivocally herself and i think it's quite inspiring how she like sticks to her guns and she works so hard and yeah i i don't think slight deviation i don't think either neither toru or naoko loved each other no i, I honestly I it was like a necessity that they had to be together because of the loss of i mean her boyfriend it, yeah it was a it, it was a, a clinging for it was intimacy. like an obsession it was like they were their last reminder of him really yeah um so when she dies it's as if he can finally go on and live his life as he wants to rather than always being held back yeah uh, yeah and that's obviously another theme of um choosing the past or the future and mm. it's well it's quite he doesn't really have a choice after she dies it's yeah. like he has to move forward but i think he was beginning to realize that just before her death yeah um which is what um he was writing to Reiko about and mm -hmm. saying that um starting to f feel these things for Midori. She was giving me sort of mental vibes from the Hunger Games. <laughs> oh, I see. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why. I think because she just spent the whole time sort of giving her life advice and playing the guitar. 
Yeah. And then sleeping with him. Yeah. Um, I think it's so sad that she doesn't return to see her ex-husband and daughter. At least for her daughter. Like, I can see why she did it, but I just think it's so sad that she didn't see her daughter again. I guess it's sort of her choosing... It's her choice of choosing the past or the future, and that's Mm -hmm. her choosing the future, not because she um, dislikes Mm. her family, but she she wants that fresh start, and she feels truly in herself that she is a hindrance towards their mm-hmm. happiness which is, is her prerogative but I, I would probably disagree with her assessment of it mm. but because her husband seemed to be so supportive and it seemed quite self-destructive when she divorced him because she just didn't want to hurt him anymore Definitely, which I, yeah. I completely get because when you're in that mentality it makes you feel worse if you're hurting the people close to you mm. but Maybe she'll meet somebody new. Who knows? Who knows? Do you think they would be able to make a film of it? I think it would be quite hard. I mean, well, they have made a film of it. Oh, have they? Yes. It's a, it's a, have you a, watched it? Uh, I had a quick flip through it <laughs> at the time when I was doing my project just because mm-hmm. I wanted to see how they... It was portrayed. Yes. Um, it, it was a Japanese film. Um subtitled obviously mm-hmm. um and I, from what i gathered it it glossed over some of the themes um i bit. think it'd be hard to show the suicides in as much detail as in a book well yeah because uh, you don't want it to be like a how-to well true but i feel like they don't actually discuss the how that much either in the book yeah um well, I don't know. They do say, like, she slashed her wrists and, like... I guess, She yeah. brought her own rope. And... Mm. So maybe. Um... I think if it was written now, he maybe wouldn't have been able to use that much detail. I don't know. I feel... It, it, again, it, did, it felt contemporary. I was never... Yeah. I was never shocked by anything. I forgot that it was written in the 1980s, which I know isn't that long ago, but in terms of mental health and mel- mental illness and people's perspective of it. I feel mm. like that has shifted quite a lot recently. Definitely, um, yeah. Did you think of Tori's friendship with Nagasawa and his girlfriend? I think hers is the most tragic suicide, I have to say. It, it fo- almost follows um, a similar sort of path as Kazuki and Naoka in mm-hmm. the sense that it's it's almost like a, a, a three um a throuple where he is <laughs> the third wheel again. Yeah. Um, but I, I mean it's interesting because a lot of what Nagasawa what, what Nagasawa says yeah. is like factually correct and it's it is very ma- matter of fact and very um, on the nose, but that doesn't mean it's the right thing to say mm-hmm. ever. Um, it, it it comes. It's it's almost as if he has. He's almost hacking the system in a sense. Um, Why do you think Tori was so drawn to him? Again, it's the bigger characters, and because he was good to Tori, really. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he really was actually. 
he was yeah he always wanted to help Toru um but yeah it, it was sort of he, obviously he did bad things Nagasawa in terms of sleeping around when he had this girlfriend and mm-hmm. stuff like that but I, I, again he's just a young person sort of trying to grow up um in a difficult time because in the backdrop of all of this which is very briefly touched upon is a, a lot of uh, student protests in japan mm. at the time and sort of a struggle against authority there um so he well toru in a sense as well but mainly nagasawa sort of is almost stepping back from everything that is going on and sees how he can sort of benefit from it and mm-hmm. sees all the rules and wants to exploit it to work in his favor favor which is completely fine for him um but yeah like i say it doesn't make him a a good person necessarily um, he's very matter of fact about the way his life is heading yes it, it's it's he sees the formula of everything and wants to um and yeah and that is in exploiting it mm-hmm. well thank you very much for coming on and talking today it's always nice to be talked about somebody's favorite book well, I don't know if it is your favorite. Well, book, it's definitely it's up there. Definitely up there. I love I love it a lot. And uh, there's some people have issues with sort of his um, descriptions of females and sees sees the character, female characters as almost like manic pixie dream girls. And I really didn't see that. I thought they were described very well. Actually. No, I, I think any sort of semblance of sexism is one half of the course given the time he's and also very young one yeah one written in the 80s set <laughs> in the 60s um and yeah he is just a young person it's i think all the relationships are quite equal really he does seem to respect midori definitely he definitely respects yeah. them and it's just, it's i guess he thinks about them in a sexual way but and the way he's like sleeping with them the girls it always seems consensual you yeah. know it, no, i mean obviously he would say it is because it's from his perspective, but... I, I, because I think Tori is a, a good person, mm-hmm. really, and um, has a good moral compass, I, I never saw any issues with no, those neither. sorts of things. No. But anyway, yes, thank you for having me. It's always good to discuss a book, seeing as I, I don't do anything like this anymore as an economics and geography <laughs> student. So, yeah, thanks for having me, Lucy. Thank you. Okay, so thank you very much to Ollie for joining us. I will now talk a bit about Marokami's other books and the sort of context behind this novel. So this book was written in the 1980s, I believe, about the 1960s. I think it's set in 1968. And this is when academic pressure really seems to have led many people to suicide. There was a student revolution and rebellion in the 1960s as well as the sort of general unrest in post-war Japan. But I think what makes a lot of the suicides in the book the most shocking, for example, with um, Toru's best friend and Naoko's big sister, is they appear to have committed suicide for no reason. It's just sort of a sense of listlessness. They're so bored with life that they can't think of another way out. 
So Tori seems to feel this listlessness with his lonely Sundays and this gradually evolves into a longer period of time of what he describes as a lonely spring. And this seems to happen as he becomes more detached from the people in his life. As I said before, it just shows how introverted he really is. And it's interesting that he describes spring as being so lonely because people normally associate spring as a period of time where, you know, there's like new animals being born, the trees are getting their leaves back, animals are returning from the hot countries they've gone to. That was the weirdest description of them emigrating. Um, but it, I suppose the juxtaposition of a lonely spring shows just how alone he really is. But like I said, it doesn't seem to bother him that much. So I have actually read another of Murakami's books, which was called The Strange Library. And as it says in the title, it is very, very strange. It is, I think, I don't even know if it can be classed as a novella. Because it is so short. I think it's about 81 pages. So it took me no time to read at all because half of that was illustration. So I felt a bit like a little kid again having to read that for my uh, Japanese literature class. But you could not get a more a pair of more different books in these. So The Strange Library is just the polar opposite to this book. It was one of his earlier novels and it's said to have been an embodiment of his father's own trauma after the war. So his father obviously fought in World War II and he appears to have suffered from very severe PTSD. And I think this has affected Murakami quite deeply. Is there are lots of parallels with this in many of his works, particularly his earlier works, I think. That was when he was younger and obviously spending more time with his father. Um, as well as this, Murakami's first love actually committed suicide. So you can sort of see Norwegian wood as a form of self-therapy in a way. And I think we can assume that Naoko is loosely based off his first girlfriend, but we can never know for certain. I think it's dangerous to assume that she is an embodiment of her because I think it would be quite triggering for Murakami to see everybody likening the two and perhaps reading into it too far. But I think it's safe to say they're loosely based off each other. So he really has had quite a tragic start in life and this can be shown in a lot of his texts as they all seem to revolve around a strange embodiment of the mind and parallels between the conscious and unconscious. Less so in Norwegian wood, but in the strange library at least, it very much focuses on the power of knowledge and how it can be used to other people's detriment, which I guess is therefore a representation of his father's trauma in the war and the power of knowledge and the fighting over it. But Norwegian Wood is more about love and the loss of love as opposed to any kind of political statement, I would say. Now, Murakami is said to have actually been very shocked and depressed at the success of the novel. I think it's shocking how many people could relate to his suffering. I don't think he was perhaps expecting that, especially on such a global level, I suppose. Because losing a loved one to suicide is not something you'd ever wish on anybody. So I think it really did depress him quite a bit. And also, it must have made him feel quite vulnerable that Norwegian Wood was so successful because it does relate so personally to his own past you can really see how it would affect him. And as I said earlier, a common theme in the novel does seem to be a lack of suicide notes. I think 
for the families left behind, it can make it more painful because they simply want an answer. I think they almost want to be able to put it in a box and like shut it away and it be closed and for them to have closure and acceptance. But through them not having a suicide note, it really does leave them wondering if they did anything wrong and... I think Naoko was the only one who left a suicide note and that was just leaving her clothes to Reiko, which was a lovely thing to do, I suppose, but I suppose then Reiko would always then be reminded of her every time she wears them, which could be a comforting thing in a sense, but the lack of suicide notes is very prominent. Again, it could be a cultural thing. I don't know if that's more of a Western thing or just a brain thing, but as we look in more depth at the suicides, we'll see how that has affected their lives. So I will now look at some of my favourite quotations from the books and analyse them more in detail and look at more of the, the structure of the novel and how deeply personal it gets. So the first quote I would like to look at is a description of Tori's dorm room. So the nickname for his roommate is Stormtrooper and he seems to be, it's as if he has OCD and I'm not saying that in a light way at all, all of the behaviours he implements indicate that and he keeps the dorm just so incredibly clean and Tori describes it as sanitary as a morgue and again just a reference to death and the death imagery it's quite shocking because one day his roommate just never returns and Toru goes to ask their people sort of in charge of the dorm like do you know what happened to him have you heard from his family and they just said he's not moving back in and he never got a new roommate so I think we are meant to assume that he committed suicide but it's shocking how much they aren't shocked when it comes to it at the end of the novel suicide is just accepted as such a normal thing like it's still tragic but it's not as it's not presented as something so desperately sad and harrowing because I think they just become desensitized to it almost when Toru describes the death of his best friend it's described in very short and emphatic sentences and all of the suicides are described in this way so this one said he died that night in his garage. Now, it's just the fact he's alone in the garage in his car, the way they they were to describe their suicides in great flowery detail, I think that would be wrong and to try and embellish them and make them too descriptive. But it is strange how much his best friend influences the narrative, yet he never actually appears in the novel. He seems to dictate the path of Tori's whole life. And it's almost as if he's living in his shadow in a way because he falls in love with his girlfriend. He he really struggles to make his own way in life. And I think this might be because it was his only friend, perhaps. But he really, really struggles to cope with the loss of him. Another thing that's repeated in the book is the repetitive imagery of rain. For example, I watched the endless April rain beyond the window. Now, this is used to bookend both positive and melancholic parts in the novel. Rain isn't normally inherently a very melancholic thing. It's like depressing, you know, you can imagine a sad film and slow music playing, somebody looking out a car window and it's raining, but this is often used to represent 
sort of fertility and growth, particularly when he's visiting Naoko and they're doing the farming because the rain means they can get better crops and it just shows a more simple appreciative way of life as if she is getting better obviously we know ultimately she doesn't but the rain is again a classic example of pathetic fallacy but as i said not always for something that's sad so the rain is used as something to be both isolating and comforting i think so when tori realizes he misses naoko and he wants to go and visit her again he thinks about the rain when he was there and he thinks about that with such comfort it's as if it's raining so you can't do much else in the world i think that's the comfort level he gets from it in a way so when naoko lives in the hospital manakami often describes her with a lot of celestial imagery so to do with lights and hope and it says the faint light trembled and then also like the final pulse of a soul's dying embers the dying embers I found to be quite a depressing image because it's as if she's so desperately trying to hold on to hope and strive to live and survive, but it just shows she doesn't have long left to live. And the faint light trembled says that even from the first time Tora visited her, you know, it was inevitable. It was always going to end this way. Now, Naoko does actually put an incredible amount of pressure on Tori. I don't think this is necessarily her fault because... She is just so deeply unwell. For example, she repeatedly says, you are still my only link with the outside world. Because when she was dating Tori's best friend, they kept meeting up as a three because he was their one link with the outside world. And now this is being continued into their adult life. And this is how it's become such a toxic, almost damning thing because he feels now as if he can't leave her. Obviously he wouldn't because he cares about her, but now it's as if he's the one lifeline keeping her alive and I think this guilt really begins to eat away at him it's as if he feels as though he's failed his dead best friend so he feels he owes it to him to keep Naoko safe but he shouldn't be denied the pleasure of living a good life and I think he is for most of the novel and at the end he only really starts to wake up and realise this after her death it's as if a big weight has been lifted off him as sad as it is he is in a sense finally free so when Naoko talks about the suicide of her sister, it is just horrible because she's so deeply unsettled herself. It shows how from such a young age she has been subjected to suicide. So to her again, it is just the norm at this point. And she says again, a short emphatic sentence dealing the events of the suicide. I was the one who found my sister dead. She even remembers the exact time she returned home, 6.30. It just shows that she has thought about it every day and she will think about it every day for the rest of her life for me i found the heartbreaking naivety of her questioning did she have high high heels on because suicide wasn't anything that was in her mind at that age i think her and her sister actually had quite a big age gap of about six years or so so she was only about 10 or 11 when her sister died so it really she was old enough to register the trauma of it and old enough for it to leave such a big footprint on her life which makes it even more tragic in a way on a a sweeter note when toro is visiting her in hospital he describes the people wrapped in yellow looks like otherworldly spirits and i think this is such a sweet description of the patients because as i said the rain is something comforting this yellow represents this fertility and wealth they find from being in this sanctuary and being able to grow their own food and really 
support themselves and it paints their struggles as something beautiful rather than condemning them. So I think in this society it was very easy to condemn their struggles because mental illness wasn't as well understood. You know, there wasn't the same level of medication and understanding as now. And I think the stigma back then was really bad. It was sort of something that was shunned and tried to be kept quiet because people just didn't understand it and they didn't want to understand it, which is just so sad when you think about how many lives could have been saved if they just took a moment to step back and look at the bigger picture and really strive to understand what people were really going through. In a way, I think the character Hatsumi, I think her suicide was the most devastating. So she was dating one of Toru's uh, university friends, Nagasawa, and she just had so much hope for life and she was treated so badly by her boyfriend. And it just, it shocked me so much. No one really saw her. I think only Toru saw the real her, the final time he saw her. And then just out of the blue, it says, she slashed her wrists after being married for two years. And it I had to put the book down for a minute. It just took me so much by surprise. It again just seemed like another senseless, not senseless suicide, because I'm sure she had her reasons, but there was no note. She finally had what she wanted. All she wanted was to get married and have a family, and that's what she had. But I think she was deeply troubled from her time dating Nagasawa and her self-worth had just been completely derailed at this point really um, and Nagasawa's description of it as having extinguished something in him shows how she was just such a special kind of young girl he was such a sort of jack the lad you know always going off and sleeping with a multitude of girls and encouraging Tori to do the same and he didn't have an ounce of remorse in his whole body so for him to say it's extinguished something it's as if it's caused irrevocable damage for him and I'm not surprised because I think deep down he did know that she was too good for him and he needed to stop sleeping around I think it makes it even more tragic that his girlfriend knew she was sleeping around because it's not as if she could plead naivety because she knew and it, it is really heartbreaking so after Naoko died Tori says, Reiko wrote to me several times after Naoko's death. Now, she was her roommate at the hospital, and this is the first time that we learn about Naoko's death. And it's so unnotable and so undramatic. It just proves that we all knew it was coming. It's as if the whole novel has just been leading up to this fact. And then the climax is that there is no climax, if that makes sense. Because it was so written in the stars, so to speak, it was her fate. It doesn't need a big moment. It doesn't need a... Uh, it doesn't need to describe how Tori reacted if he fell to the floor and him sobbing because Reiko knew it was coming, Tori knew it was coming, her family knew it was coming. It was just a matter of time. And in a way, she is now able to find peace because her whole life she'd just been so troubled. You know, her boyfriend's suicide, her sister's suicide. It's just, it's just never ending for her recently which I think makes even more devastating in a way because we knew it was coming and there's nothing that anybody else could do. For me, one of the most tragic lines in the whole book was when Reiko said she'd even brought her own rope, which just shows how desperate Naoko was to not be an inconvenience to anyone. And again, just a short emphatic line, it just captures everything it needs to without using flowery words and it makes it even more damning and shocking. 
I think the way she burned all the letters from Toru is if she's trying to extinguish him from her life, shows that she was so desperate not to hurt him. It's as if she burned all of his letters before she killed herself. It would lessen the hurt. Obviously, we know this isn't true, but it's just so sad that she was trying to find a peace of mind in a way before she died. I don't think it was her denouncing her love for him or denouncing his love for her. I think it was just in a bid to cause less harm because that's all she ever wanted to do in life. She says it repeatedly through the novel, like, will you still stay and love me? Will you wait for me to Tori? Saying, like, I know I'm bad. I know I'm damaged. And it's just so sad that she couldn't see her self-worth. She was so talented at so many different things. And, you know, she never even got to graduate university. It's just, it's just so sad. So on a, a slightly more positive note, I will now be recommended recommending sorry an album now of course i'm sure you recognize from the title norwegian wood is of course a beatles song so again might be a crop out like last week but my recommendation for this week is from the beatles their album rubber soul which has the song norwegian wood in it and i really do think this is the perfect uh song for the novel to be uh, named after because it really makes you feel as if you're in the little cottage with Naoko and Toru and Reiku with the rain beating down it's it feels kind of folky which is nice because Reiko always played the guitar and sang a song and I think it's important to remember Norwegian Wood all the way through the novel because Naoko loved it so much and I think it really sort of captures her essence in a way So overall, I would say I rate this book a 4.5 out of 5, which is very high for me. Um, But I would also just like to add at the end, please, if you are disturbed by anything in the novel or this show at all, please contact an organisation such as the Samaritans or Mind and get the help that you deserve and you need. Because it's so important that we remain aware of our mental health and we can use this novel as a way of learning and being grateful that we do now have such excellent resources at our fingertips. So I think overall... This novel is just so well written. I was really astounded by it. I wasn't expecting it. I think for me, reading one of his earlier novels, The Strange Library, beforehand and seeing how different it was and how his writing has really improved over time. I think he wrote Norwegian Wood quite late in his life. And I think it's good that he did because he's had time to mature and sort of try and heal as much as he can so that he can write for example, the character of Naoka that we said might be loosely based off his first love. He's been able to write her from a safe distance, I think, without putting too much of himself in the novel. And it has definitely made me want to travel to Japan even more and (laughs) just go and see the beautiful countryside and the mountains. I think especially with corona, obviously we haven't been able to travel for about a year now. It's really made me yearn to just go and see somewhere completely new and completely different. And I think... The last thing thought I've taken from this novel is just how terrible it is, how they accept the inevitability of Naoko's death. And I think Toru is a very notable character and he is very noble in a way. For example, he always criticises himself and says like he's boring, you know, he's not that clever, he's got nothing special about him. But the way he talks to Midori's father that day in the hospital, it seems as if he has a intuitively caring nature. I think whilst the end of the novel is so confusing and so strange, I think from his experience with Naoko and all of the characters he meets in the novel, Toru has developed so much as a person. 
and I think he will really be able to strive and become a much better person. I could even see him not becoming a therapist, but sort of going into hospitals and volunteering to sit with people and talk with them. Midori didn't tell him what to do when he went to visit her father. You know, he just sat there and just talked to him about his day. And I think parents love doing that. Whenever I call my parents from uni, I always just tell them what I've been up to. And I think because obviously when Dory's father's been stuck in hospital for quite a long time, it's as if he could live vicariously through Toru. It's not as if he was boasting or anything. He just did it in a very humble, matter-of-fact way. Like, this is what I'm going to do. This is how I'm going to care for him. And he did it without complaint. And I think that's really admirable. The same way he did with Naoko and Reiko. You know, he listened to them the whole time. He is a really good listener. And I think, again, that's something important we can take from it because it's so easy to just blunder through life, not really taking anything in. So, all in all, again, didn't always like the characters, but I think each of them had really lovely qualities, especially Midori. She... She was a fiery little thing and I, I, I grew really fond of her and I hope, I know he won't ever write a sequel, but if he did, I would love for them to stay together, but I have a feeling they won't. But thank you very much for listening to this show and thank you to Ollie for coming on and talking with us. Now, we will be having a short break over Easter, but after then we will be back with some fabulous novels. I have quite a good few ones lined up and it's my birthday over Easter actually, so I'm hoping I'll get lots of good books for my birthday. Um, Until then, stay safe, have fun reading and remember to take care of yourselves.